0: But my favorite reading books old school and my favorite interviews are with book authors book club with Michael Smirconish is now in session. I think it was a week ago today when we were we were using our so-called muzzled meter and evaluating speech that had drawn attention. There was the case of of Tommy Tuberville was one of the instances. And Kanye West. Kanye West was the second instance. But then you said, in the background... And that was actually a poll question, which was worse. And then I said, you know, there's also this story from the L.A. Times... It's not as well known, so I won't make it as part of our poll question of the day, but it's really an interesting story. And
2: look where we are now. And look where we are now. (laughs)
0: Now, everybody knows about this leaked tape of a Los Angeles City Council meeting. It was from 2021 that has made national news because all of the participants, Hispanic, recorded making slurs against African-Americans and other ethnic groups. And resignations have ensued, although not all have resigned As a poll question yesterday at the website, I asked this, is the type of racism exhibited by members of the Los Angeles City Council unique to the City of Angels? We had nearly 12,000 people cast ballots and 95 percent of them said no. And my fear is that that is the correct answer. On CNN on Saturday, I had an excellent guest, Fordham University law professor Tanya Hernandez, herself identified as Afro-Latina and the author of the recent book, Racial Innocence, Unmasking Latino Anti-Black Bias and the Struggle for Equality. And she joins me now. Professor, I thought you were excellent on CNN, so much so that I I had the feeling at the end of our conversation that there was more to be said. So thank you for your willingness to, to come and flesh it out on radio. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. So on that point of, of my poll question yesterday where I was asking the audience, do you think this is something unique to L.A.? And the audience, 95 percent, says no. Do you agree with that sentiment? This is a problem that probably exists all over if we had more recordings.
3: I agree entirely. It's unfortunate, but in my own research for the book Racial Innocence on Masking Latino Anti-Black Bias, What I found across the country, across various Latino ethnic groups, the anti-blackness that is part of Latino culture that we get from our colonial history in Latin America and the Caribbean and the long legacy of slavery that was quite entrenched within Latin America and the Caribbean, anti-blackness unfortunately remains a constant
0: Well, tell me more about that, because I candidly don't know the colonial history that you're making reference to. So give us the Cliff's Note version, and and we'll look to your book for the longer version.
3: I'll give it to you in a sentence or two.
0: (laughs) Okay,
4: tell Um, me.
3: (laughs) So uh, historians estimate that 90% of the uh, Africans that survived the Middle Passage, transatlantic slave trade, were brought to Latin America and the wider Caribbean. When you try to narrow that down a little bit more to just Spanish-speaking Caribbean and Latin America, the number is about 65%. But whichever one you go with, (laughs) it's still a significant amount in comparison to what the numbers were that were brought to what we now call the United States of North America, which is 3.5%. So consider that sort of comparison, 65% and 3.5%. So the uh, demographic profile of Latin America is quite African, right, in appearance. The um, pathologies about blackness, though, are that we got rid of blackness and any racism when, one, we had the emancipation of slaves much later in the Americas than the United States, by, by the way, um, and that we mixed all together. And so we became one homogeneous uh, grouping uh, that can no longer uh, be identified as versus white, black, ex- indigenous, et cetera. When in point of fact, those groups are actually quite identifiable. And unfortunately, even worse, they primarily are found along a racial hierarchy in which those who appear more white and more European are at the top, uh, have more socioeconomic privilege, uh, provide a greater access to civic participation And and the like. Uh, And so those attitudes, right, that remain quite uh, entrenched in Latin America and the Caribbean, you know, come with migrants to the United States. And not only that, stay within Latino families as part of Latino culture, so that even young people who've never sort of stepped foot in a Latin American country, um, generations later, are still exposed to and inculcated in the anti-blackness that exists.
0: Does racism of the type that you're describing exist in Latin America and the Caribbean today more so than well, in the United States?
3: Well, I won't. I wouldn't necessarily mo- say more so because, you know, then the hierarchy of oppressions, so all oppression is bad. Um, but I will give you this one interesting um, piece of information. Back in 2001, with the United Nations World Conference Against Racism was held in Durban, South Africa, Latin America had... So many, a disproportionate number of Afro social justice activists appear before the international stage in order to try to shed light on the racism that they were experiencing as people of African descent. So people from Brazil and Venezuela, you know, from across the Americas showed up in force in order to have greater international attention to their plight.
0: So, I mean, this this is largely new to me. I'm a suburban white guy. I didn't realize that there were these deep seated animosities between some Latinos toward African-Americans. That's what you see in the L.A. episode, though. You see a, a vestige, evidence of that in the taped conversation.
3: Well, I see that and I see more. The tape conversation in its um, anti-anybody else other than European descendant animosity includes people from Oaxaca in Mexico. And then it's been characterized thus far in the media as being about anti-indigeneity, which, of course, Mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. it's actually also about anti-anti-blackness. Why? Because within Oaxaca, there are a significant number of people of Afro-Indigenous and Afro-Mexican ancestry. In other words, visible black people who only speak Spanish or an indigenous language are part of the profile of Oaxaca. So when the um, former councilwoman goes on and on about the ways in which they're so ugly and she doesn't understand why they're walking along K-Town and, and Koreatown Town and Los Angeles and what have you, part of that... A strand is also about anti-Blackness because the darkness of the people is not just about their indigeneity. It's also about their African ancestry.
0: This is Tanya Hernandez, a Fordham University law professor, author of the recent book, Racial Innocence, Unmasking Latino Anti-Black Bias and the Struggle for Equality. By the way, a link to make it easy for you is in all my social media right now. Professor, is it a two-way street if this bias exists, Latino against Uh, african-american do african-americans feel in kind about latinos i realize i'm painting with a broad brush here but i think you get my question oh i
3: certainly get your question and and i think it's fair to say that you know you can find animosities of all kinds against all kinds of people across a broad spectrum right of the population but here's one thing that never gets sort of brought out when the two-sidedness approach is lodged is that African-Americans, when polled time and time again, are much more favorable towards immigration of Latinos, towards extending Latinos all sorts of social benefits, for including Latinos as part of our uh, civic society. Uh, And that's something that isn't really portrayed, I think, also because of anti-Blackness, to be perfectly frank.
0: So I'm wondering if the Democratic Party is big enough for both. Because, you know, right now, majorities of blacks and Latinos are supportive of the D's and not the R's, although there are signs of Latina voters, Latino and Latina voters, moving more toward the Republican Party. Do you think that that move is in part because African-Americans are so identified as being Democrats?
3: Well, I mean, I think part of the move is, um, is the seductiveness of, of white supremacy. Or, you know, as our party has become much, much more aligned with and affiliated with these white supremacist strands and rhetoric, um, it is actually quite evocative of what we hear in Latin America and the Caribbean. You know, whiteness is better. Let, whiteness is under threat. Let's all band together. Um, and so the familiar strains of that kind of discourse I would dare to say is also part of the attraction um, of these parties that actually do not serve the interests of Latinos unless they, you know, actually are able to pass into white Anglo English speaking whiteness and not don't have a, a Hispanic surname you know, and, and don't have any kind of uh, citizenship uh, status differentiation. All of these all these markers uh, or a heavy accent that would otherwise ostracize you into anti-Latino bias within the United States, you can pass. Well, then the the retrograde policies don't bother you.
0: Professor, is this a a problem that's going to solve itself in the future? How far in the future? I don't know. But with more intermarrying, do these groupings matter less and less?
3: Unfortunately, in prior research that I did on multiracials and civil rights, what I found is that um multiracial identity greater you know familial intermingling and certainly latin america shows this as well in of itself doesn't change racial inequality the only thing that transforms racial inequality into racial justice is overt attentiveness and intervention you know within families we can exceptionalize too much i don't like blacks but this black is okay <laughs> right. i don't like latinos but this latino is okay so the systemic issues don't get addressed when it's just within the inter-family inter- uh, scenario.
0: Do you think that your, your own Afro-Latina background gives you a unique perspective on all of this? And, and are you willing? Can you tell me a little bit about that?
3: Well, the, it is true right now that this is both an intellectual engagement for me, but also a very personal one. Um, My family is Afro-Puerto Rican, and Mm -hmm. within the family, there's been quite a a lot of emotional trauma um, of ostracizing and denigrating the family members who are more Afro in appearance than the others. And unfortunately, this is also a very typical dynamic within Latino families, where there's always the dark one. Everybody knows who the dark one is. And the dark one uh, doesn't get the same investment in uh, parenting, doesn't get the same investment and privileges within the family and this can be tracked across a lifetime in which the effects of that disparity in effective parenting results in the um unevenness in socioeconomic attainment of the darker members of the family um and so you know
0: have you had situations where people meeting interacting with you don't know of your mixed background afro latina and make comments presupposing one thing, not realizing another?
3: Most certainly. Like um, what? Because I have, well, you know, because I have a, an appearance that is, uh, it's to say, racially ambiguous. It can go one right. way or another, depending on right. how the hair is and what the sun, uh, sun exposure is. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> or if you know what my last name is, right? See, Hernandez does a lot of work in situating me in people's boxes. Um, but if you don't know any of that, you're just looking at me. I have been able to sort of travel in spaces where within my Latino family, relatives and Latino communities, I've heard the most horrendous anti-black sentiment. You know, the um, recorded statements about monkeys and blackness of children, that was not a one off. That is typical within Latino public Discourse, so I should maybe I should say private discourse uh, of uh, racializing blackness at, uh, along an animal line. That is a common refrain. Um, uh, at the same time, when people don't know that I am also Latina, right? Um, I have also heard, you know, all kinds of horrible sentiments about people um, and the presumption that all oh, Latinos are undocumented. And, you know, I don't I, I don't think your audience needs me to sort of run through the litany um, sure. of all the stereotyped um, violence uh, that exists. But I've heard uh, on multiple times. I did,
0: I did have a caller last week who stands out. We, we get lots of calls and process as many of them as we can. It's, it's so for a call to stand out to me is significant. And it was a gentleman who identified himself as Mexican-American, and he was defending the word. What is it? Changuito, Changuito, whatever the the Mm -hmm. word translated for monkey is. And what he said to me, professor, is he said that was really more in reference to the the activeness of the child, not the racial dynamic of the child, because he said that's a word we commonly use for for kids who need to be disciplined. Does that make sense to you?
3: Um, I think that we all have all kinds of ways that we do not want to acknowledge the uh, anti blackness strands that are part of our daily discourse. We can always find some other way to characterize it, right? Um, and unfortunately, you know, the idea that, you know, hyperactivity, right, can be uh, associated with a monkey, yes, of course that exists. But that you would situate the, uh, calling a child that at the same time that you say they need to be taken out back and beat down, right? That sort of positions it as not just a mere uh, hyperactive commentary, but instead very much about the racialized view that the representative had of that child. And particularly when you already know what the background of our culture is in in Latino cultures of calling black people monkeys. (laughs) You know, that is not something that is aberrational or unique to a Nuri Martinez. As I like to say, there are many Nuri Martinezes within our community.
0: I, I thought that the most, I mean, to me, obviously that was an appalling comment, but to me the most stunning was when she, making reference to the progressive DA, says, F. Gascone, he's with the blacks. Like, there it was, mm. in black and white, you're either with us or you're with them.
3: And you know it is true that in electoral politics and in redistricting, it, it can be a crude and crass process. There's lots of horse trading, if you will, going on. But there is a way in which the positionality of what you would think would be like, you know, about people of color uniting. Um, certainly, this is seen in uh, among civil rights attorneys when they're trying to enhance the voting rights of um, people of color by proposing unity maps. So, where Latinos and Asians and African Americans kind of come together to propose a sort of a single district, depending on the location and geography. And what these civil rights attorneys told me when I was interviewing them for the book, A Racial Innocence, was that they often encounter anti blackness amongst Latinos as a barrier, as a challenge and obstacle that they have to try to navigate in order to talk about the best self interest of these community members in coming together. Uh, For unity mapping.
0: Right, I get it. And from the outside looking in, there's a tendency in, in the mind of someone who looks like me to associate the political interests of these groups as being synonymous. When, in fact, that's not the case or that's that's often not the case. So let, let's let sum up the, the Tanya Hernandez is a Fordham University law professor who's written a book directly on point called Racial Innocence, Unmasking Latino, Anti-Black Bias and the Struggle for Equality. And looking at the broader picture of the issues raised in those L.A. recordings, you most want us to know what?
3: That this is something that needs national attention. If we don't deal with the intercommunity anti-blackness that exists in our country, we'll never be able to move forward to have a true, true multiracial democracy. Democracy is at risk here. It continues to be at risk in a larger perspective, but it is also at risk within all the communities of color that harbor the anti-blackness that sustain the racial hierarchies that we have in our nation today.
0: Professor Hernandez cannot thank you enough. It was really excellent. I appreciated you on CNN and even more so now on POTUS. Greetings and best wishes. Thank you very much.
1: This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM.
0: Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service Processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math and see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash netsuite.com slash smirconish, netsuite.com slash smirconish.
1: Listen to Michael live, weekdays on POTUS. Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app.
0: You just heard a very provocative uh, argument put forth by my guest and and me, the political one, wondering if all of this is true and she makes a compelling case, then how long term can the Democratic Party be the home for both blacks and Hispanics? In Virginia, this is Chris. Chris, on the Hispanic black issue, you wanted to say what?
4: I just, uh, I I really loved your guest there. Professor Hernandez was I believe, spot on from my experience. Um, and this is, you know, I'm a family of immigrants, but not Latino. Right? My parents are from Italy, and they came in the 50s, but I grew up in a largely Latino area. And she's spot on with the um, differences in those communities. Um, we, we had african American in our communities. And it was white, but it was majority-minority community, and they did not necessarily get along. The things I would hear come out of my friend's mouth, growing up were things that i would think you know you'd hear from some country hick in alabama you know it, it was unbelievable right and another you know thing is that the class system in these areas is 100 percent the truth and um not to make light of it and that's no pun intended but sammy sosa if you look and you can google it went through I've a seen enlightening kind of procedure. It's unbelievable and yeah. you know and it, and you feel like mentally where where folks are, and they feel like they need to be in a certain spot. It's it's, it's sad, you know. I, and I saw and I,
0: those. I, I saw those images. They were heartbreaking. They were bananas, just heart, right? They were heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah. I, I
4: to I, her point and exactly what you know that this guy who had it all, you know, I mean, right. a superstar baseball player still was not enough. Right. Right. D- and, doesn't and, want and to just, be
0: perceived as black or 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 as being you know that dark. Yeah, I don't yeah, know, I something, something it's, I just, it broke my heart when I saw it. I don't know what else yeah. to say about it. Uh, Samuel, Illinois, greetings. What did you want to say relative to my conversation with Professor Hernandez?
5: Uh, great, yeah, great conversation. And I think sometimes definitely in the minority perspective, some people forget uh, that people do not want to associate anything to being black. And so assimilation to white is good and black is bad due to the overwhelming cultural conditioning, um, as he's saying, that it's not, novice of someone, use the term monkey in any culture, uh, to debate someone of black skin. And so when we can definitely decide and see that racism schism of assimilation being there helps to point out why we have so much barriers of unity of minorities coming together. And then the Hispanic groups are not a monolith as well, because some Hispanics do associate, but some do not.
0: Well, yeah. And I mean, it's a very complicated picture. And there's also a generational divide among certain of the Hispanic groups. I think about the Cubans in Miami and the political power that they've had. The kids don't agree with the grandparents. The grandparents still remember when they had to leave because of Castro.
5: Yeah, yeah, and also, too, the caste disparity, too, of the skin of Cubans' descent as well, too, how they're treated differently, too, just on the skin color as well. So, right, the diversity of the political view, and then also the consistently, you know, assimilation closer to whiteness, to black, because even have those who have darker skin claim to be white, just to assimilate to have power and access.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for making the call. I appreciate it. Now, listening in from the Lehigh Valley is Viviana herself a Hispanic professor who disagrees with what she heard. Viviana, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for calling. What did you hear that you disagree with?
2: Well, so actually, because I teach, I actually used your newsletter, the three articles that you highlighted, I think it was last week, with Tuberville and Kanye West and the Los Angeles
0: (laughs) Council. I used that to open up my class. Wow. Holy smokes. I
2: wanted you to hear that.
0: (laughs) Okay. Thank you for that. You win.
2: One of the things (laughs) – so I want to open by saying that I absolutely disagree with uh, with the uh, councilwoman and and the council members' actions. I think they're deplorable, and racism is never okay, no no matter whether it's uh, between groups, out of groups. It it doesn't matter. It's it's never okay. So I just want to condemn those actions. But one of the things that uh, Professor Hernandez – and with all due respect, she's a fellow Latina, so with all due respect – is that her perspective is just, is she is half Puerto Rican, if I recall, and half African-American. Puerto Ricans are U.S. citizens, and so that creates a different experience from different um, Hispanic groups in the U.S. And when we consider, for example, the heritage of Mexicans and their uh, immigration experience and the, the repatriation that occurred historically against this group, There is an anti-Hispanic sentiment as far as immigration, which uh, thankfully the Puerto Rican population does not have to experience, and that makes the experiences different. So what I would argue is that because of that, um, I think that minority groups are, are pitted against one another, and let's fight for limited resources. Because as long as we're fighting amongst ourselves, then we don't have to pay attention to the issue that... Minorities are overrepresented in poverty, overrepresented in proper housing, employment, education. And I think that's really important to note.
0: It's complicated. May I read a paragraph that I circled in the New York Times coverage of this issue out loud and then you react to it? Just speaking to the complexity of this, quote, The terms Hispanic and Latino have become embedded in the American mosaic appearing in census forms, newspapers and political polling since a law passed in 1976 began requiring federal agencies to aggregate into one group data on people who trace their ancestry to Spanish speaking countries. The classification is based on common language, culture and heritage, not race. People in the category mm-hmm. are far from homogeneous. Many have roots in Mexico. Others are Puerto Ricans, Argentines, Colombians, Cubans, Spaniards, and of course, indigenous people recognizing this heterogeneity. This heterogeneity. Sorry, the Obama campaign aired campaign ads in 2012 that were tailored to particular Latino populations in their countries of origin. In central Florida, ads targeting the Puerto Rican community featured Puerto Ricans and addressed their concerns. In Nevada, the ads featured Mexican-Americans. I guess, Professor, my point is it's complicated and we tend to paint with a broad brush and put lots of people into one category. Fair statement?
2: I, I do think it's fair, and I was concerned that she did the same. And while I am not minimizing the Puerto Rican experience, because I mean, when we consider their experiences with discrimination, all I'm saying is that it's different. And she painted Hispanics with a broad brush brush herself, and that that to me, I think, discredits uh, other groups and and their experiences. And you know, just from a personal experience in academia. I wanted to join a black caucus and I was not allowed because I was Hispanic. So when she said that one group is friendlier towards another, that it's not reciprocated, my personal experience, I I would, you know, I would say just by being denied access to that group, uh, which would have been a faculty advocacy for, because we uh, face similar situations in academia. um, I, well, well certainly that's just one data
0: point. What I'm saying is this is just, we're, we're, we're fighting amongst ourselves. We should be unifying. Can, can Latinos and blacks coexist in the Democratic Party long term? It's a potential I poll think, question for tomorrow.
2: I think if the Democratic Party starts to pay attention to our issues, to our concerns, yes. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think when it comes, like I said, to our institutional issues, to housing, to education, to employment, we share... In this, with this, very similar concerns.
0: I get it. Viviana, thank you so much, and th- thanks for spreading the gospel of the newsletter. I really appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs>
2: you're, you're welcome. I love your show. This is
1: the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from SiriusXM.
0: Available with all wheel drive, your new RAV four is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. Plus both RAV fours and highlanders are with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash Smirconish. NetSuite.com slash Smirconish. NetSuite.com slash Smirconish. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner?
1: Listen to Michael live, weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and on the SXM app.
0: Richard, Birmingham, Alabama. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good, sir. I, I brought the
6: newsletter, too, by the way. Thank um, you, sir. It, it exists within everybody. I agree with that last guy about DNA. You've interviewed Malcolm Gladwell, right? Yes, so I have. So you know about the paper bag test, things like Jack and Jill, about the gradations of skin color within the black race. You know, if you're light, you're all right. If you're brown, hang around. And if you're black, get back. That was something that we applied to each other well into the 1970s. So it just is a thing. I think it may be part of the DNA to self-select based on on what you consider to be a good attribute or not.
0: You think that if if you had an experiment of of kids raised in the abstract without any exposure, if that were possible to racism or racial animus, nevertheless, they would they would sort of uh, migrate toward their own. I think probably so. My mother raised me. I'm very
6: fair skinned and my mother raised me without the notion of skin color within (laughs) the race. So all I knew was there was this very fair-skinned woman that loved me, and there was a woman who was dark as night that loved me. And all that did for me was broaden my experiences when it came to my choice of women. I didn't care, <laughs> okay? And I wasn't hip to all of that until I turned almost 50 when someone told me about a name called, it's a thing called uh, Redbone. Now, that's a comment in the black race. For very light-skinned people, and I I never, 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 never
0: heard it. No, I never heard that before.
6: Well, that's something that is called. It's very prevalent, especially in the South, and people who come from the South. You say red bone, and I asked my very dark-skinned girlfriend, "Red bone, what's that?" And she looked at me and laughed and said, "You are red bone. You're you're red bone. No clue (laughs) until until I was almost I was forty-eight years old." When I knew what red bone meant. And that was because of my very fair mother and my very dark skinned auntie that raised me. I just didn't know. She socially engineered it out, just like she socially engineered out guns. All of that was social engineering, and my mother did it. So.
0: Nicely done. Richard, thank you for that. Very, very engaging call, and I, I appreciate it. Book Club with Michael Smirkanish. New episodes
1: drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen to the Michael Smirkanish program, weekdays on SiriusXM's POTUS, Channel 124, and anytime on the SXM app.
3: Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at smirkanish.com.